Hello, hello. Welcome to the Best Speech Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Pacione, and this week, we've got Glow Atanmo on the show. Glow is one of those people you could talk to for seven hours, and it would feel like, I don't know, seven minutes, eight? I mean, she is a gem. She is... Okay, so here's her background. She's an online educator. She is the founder of the Social Educators Academy, where she teaches women how to use their platforms to make a difference and to living online. She's so good at that. She's also a world traveler. She's been to more than 90 countries across six different continents. Her digital storytelling has landed her in Oprah Magazine, in Forbes. Her speaking has been a total career changer. I mean, she's gotten on stages with Brendan Burchard, with Tony Robbins. Glow is on fire. You can catch her on Instagram. That's at Glow Graphics, Glow, G-L-O Graphics, or on the Glow Show podcast. And in this episode, we talk about how Glow creates a different keynote every single time. We talk about why she does that. We talk about some of her tricks. We talk about her graphic design background. We talk about the order in which she writes the speech, how she rehearses, how she puts slides together. We go through it all. You are going to love this. Check out Glow Atanmo. Y'all, my guest is one of my favorite new people. Well, new to me, not new to the world. Uh <laughs> I got to meet Glow this year. She's been internet famous for a little while. I don't remember why I started following you. I don't mean why, like it was a bad decision, but just I did at some point. You got on my radar. Then I was really, really stoked to be able to work with you at ConvertKit uh, at the Craft and Commerce Conference. And then you delivered. Good golly. That was... <laughs> I knew that you were good. I mean, the re- your reputation preceded you, but I found myself sitting there... And, you know, it's always interesting when I watch a speech because there's like my speech brain and then there's my just spectator brain. And my favorite thing is when spectator brain takes over and I I forget Mm -hmm. that I'm speech expert. So I got to do that in your talk. And I've said this before and I'll, I'll say it forever. Like my favorite thing in the world is when someone is presenting and it feel and I, I forget that it's a speech. It just feels like there's a friend on stage who's doing her thing, which uh, which which described you glow. So oh. it's quite a build up to having you on here. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. No, honestly, you're, you're a genius. And I appreciate all the pointers and the tips that we had leading up to that, because I think it was almost like game recognized game. Like mm. you're obviously a master at your craft. I am becoming and trying to be a master at mine in the speaking world. And so I just, I had so many questions and you gave me so much insight as to how I could frame the opening and the ending and how to like think of jokes ahead of time. So I really appreciate all that you provided for me. Oh my gosh. So much love for you. Uh, <laughs> tell me. So these days you speak about twice a month, generally yeah. twice a month. Some of yeah. those are like humongous stages, Tony Robbins, uh, <laughs> Brendan Burchard, but how did it all start? I mean, that's, we're at, we're at the, like, I mean, maybe not the pinnacle, but the pinnacle as of 2022, how did, how did it start for you? Yeah, it's so fascinating. I never, I was never one of those that dreamed of speaking. Um, when we think of different, like, not to, you know, get too off track, but we think of different trauma responses for being nervous. Like I was an introvert. And so my way of overcoming- You were an introvert. Yeah, what? Still, still am, still am. Oh, this I, is a surprise. I think some of the best speakers in the world are because it's like oh, for sure. to, we come on stage and we perform. That's not actually us all the day, all day, every day. So <laughs> for me, like performing was, was my way of getting over my fear of people. So I, I never desired to be a speaker. <laughs> I was always someone that like did what I had to for the moment that I was given. And then I like went back into my shell. So my very first time, and we can talk about this later in the, yeah. the the conversation, but my very first talk, I bombed the amount of ums and likes, and I was sitting, and it was awkward, so I couldn't get out nervous energy. And you know that feeling when you see someone nervous, and like you in the audience, you feel oh, yeah. so embarrassed for them because you see their nerves, but you don't have to do anything about it? It's like... That was me. And I, I could see everyone's secondhand like anxiety from my nerves. It was so bad. Oh, oh okay. Let's talk about this because you're so far beyond that now. But when, <laughs> how long ago was that? Uh, 2015, 2014. 
Okay. So yeah. is this like you're getting paid for it? Like what is, what is that? You don't have to say where it was, but give me the situation. Yeah. So, well, it, the context of my business, I was a travel blogger. So I was like trying to make, trying to build a brand, getting paid to travel. So my very first like paid gig was a travel blogging conference and it was travel. Like I was traveling for the job as well. So it felt like there was so much trust put into like lowly old me who was still yeah. trying to build her brand and find her voice. So you have those feelings of like, I'm not even worthy. And then it's like, but then I am on this platform and you know, I'm on the lineup. So I have to pretend that I'm worthy. Then I have all these eyeballs staring at me, noticing that I'm actually not worthy. So ugh, it was a mess. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. So how did you prepare? So this is your first talk ever. How did you prepare for it? Do you remember? <laughs> the worst part is, <laughs> Not much has changed in my preparation. Like it was a night. <laughs> <laughs> Seven years later, preparation looks the exact same. I'm just more confident. <laughs> night before, 3 a.m., cranking out the pe presentation PowerPoints. <laughs> <laughs> Do not repeat this at home, kids. Yeah. Do not. Yeah. So at the, at the, Craft and Commerce Conference this year, the day before there was, there was a little mastermind and it was like 20 people. And I got to speak at that. Yep. And one of, one of my things in telling a story is that it's great if you can summarize a person in a sentence and I used glow and there were, there are a few different, ver like, obviously you're a deep person with all these layers. Like I can take that in more than one direction, but uh, the one that I did not use, but which I really was thinking about, I just didn't want to set you up for it to be awkward <laughs> when you spoke on stage. That Glow is the type of person who's still working on her speech as she's being announced to walk onto the stage. <laughs> so good. So good. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> See, this is really surprising to me because I would think that if your first speech was really bad, bombed, everybody in the audience is giving you secondhand nervousness, which is making you more nervous. I would think that next time around, it's like, no, I am preparing six months ahead of time. I'm going to make this foolproof. No, that's not what happened. You know, the interesting thing is, and I always tell people this about imposter syndrome as well. It's like, it doesn't go away. You just get more comfortable with the relationship you have with it. And mm. so I, I knew that speaking on stage wasn't something I would just one day like overcome the fear of it, but my confidence level and how I viewed speaking on stage would change. And my habits, whether it was speaking on stage, whether it was preparing for, you know, a lesson or running a retreat, like, it's consistent across the board. It's not that I'm last minute, but I just love the thrill of like the urgency and the necessity. Like this has to be done. Like mid, like that feeling of like, oh, this is it. Like it's like game time. I grew up an athlete, tennis, softball, golf, and basketball. So like this is fourth quarter energy. I'm about to go into overtime. Like I love that thrill and I live for that. And so I almost like purposely invoke it into my business. <laughs> Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, there are a lot of athletes who become speakers, and I really think that's got to be part of it. Like, I always tell people that, you know, once you finish college, I don't know, when's the last time you played something where people cheered for you, like a sport? Like when you were like 22? Gosh. If that? Uh, yeah, 24. I played uh, overseas in Barcelona for a season. Okay. Oh, gosh, your <laughs> life is so interesting. So you got cheers at 24. <laughs> But like, my point is, after you finish your rec league basketball career or whatever, I don't know, how many times in your life can you get real applause for things? And how many times do you feel real adrenaline on the line? There are things that you've done, I'm sure, that have made you more money than speaking. But that adrenaline rush is is difficult to match. That's true. So, that I mean, that's such a great perspective. Like, it really is that, yeah, where else are you getting applauded? Maybe your wedding? Um yeah, it, it, it doesn't happen in real life. And so you're on that stage and you're like, again, it is a perform. I look at it as a performance. I don't, Yeah. I, I put on almost like this mask. And when my best friend um, flew to Florida to see me um, at an event that I hosted, she was, she, that was her first time seeing me in that capacity. And she was like, glow, I didn't even recognize you. Like you were just, wow. you, she was like, you transformed. She was like, everything was so fluid and you were so charismatic and it was just, it was so easy. She's like, you, you were floating up there. She's like, I, I, she's like, I know that you're good at what you do, but like, I saw you tap into another version of you that was so impressive. And I was like, oh, thanks. 
<laughs> That's so interesting. I've sometimes wondered about that. So do you feel like you are, everybody's at least a little bit different on stage, of course, but do you feel like you are drastically different glow on stage versus glow, the business person, the friends? Do you feel like you're a lot different? I think it's more about access. Not everyone gets to see that side of me. So when I'm mm. on stage, I'm being paid for you to see that side of me. But everyday interaction, I'm like, I'm not giving that much energy to strangers, you know? <laughs> but like best friends, family, like if we're like, I have friends coming over uh, to my place all week because I'm getting ready to leave. And so like, they're gonna get a side of me that I might show little bits of on stage, but it's like, they've like, I don't wanna say they deserve that type of access, but they've invested in that. And so like, we have history, I trust them in that space. So it's not that I'm completely different, but I don't show that side of me to everyone. So it does feel like you get this intimate side of glow where it's like, whoa, this was an experience. She's not like this every day, or at least not to just everyday people. So I'm sorry, that everyday people, that sounds like peasants, yeah. <laughs> you, know, but, you know what I mean? The plebeians but, who wait yeah. on me, yeah. <laughs> but it's like friends and family will always get the best version of me, whether I'm giving them a pep talk or we're just talking about everyday things. And so when I'm on stage, I'm giving people the best side of me because I want them to really come away with something. So, yeah. <laughs> so when you look back at the original Glow speech, I think you said 2014. Yeah. Were you, was that a different person on stage? Does that question make sense? Was mm, No, she was the same because I carried my insecurities, my fears, my doubts, my imposter syndrome. I carried that person on the stage. Like Brendan Burchard would always say, like, it's not about you. If you ever feel anxiety on stage, it's because you're making it about yourself. Make it about the people that you can serve and help. And so I tap more into that. Like, I, I don't care how I come across. I don't care if you're staring at my shoes. Like, it's not about me. Like, feel free to pick apart my outfit, but I'm, I'm here for a job and I'm going to serve you to the, the deepest way I, in the deepest way that I can. So I, I don't even think about myself. Like, I could be, I could have a massive pit stain. I won't even know <laughs> until I get off stage because I'm so out of body and I'm like here for a, a mission. And it's like, it's game time. But like in 2014, I was like, oh, are they staring at me? Oh, they can hear yeah. the shake in my voice. Oh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> what goes through your head these days now that you're good and I'm telling you like just the best speaker of the conference, like what they are announcing you, you're about to go out. What is the, what is going through your head when you're backstage? Game time. Let's go. Let's go. I'm like pumping mm. myself up. And I think Ryan, who was a filmmaker, I flew down um, to help shoot some of the backstage. Um, like it, it, backstage, I'm like, I'm getting water and I'm like walking in circle. It, it literally looks like I'm getting ready to go out on the court to play <laughs> basketball. <laughs> but I'm pumping, like all I can think of is excitement. Because they always say anxiety, excitement, nerves, same emotion. It's just how you yeah. interpret it. So I'm just like, even if my body is actually nervous, I'm still like channeling excitement. Have you ever had an audience that you didn't like? Oh, um, probably virtual. And I wouldn't say I didn't like. I would say they didn't know me enough to, and I didn't have enough time to warm up to them. Mm. I, I am placed in situations where it's like the whole conference, there's so many tech issues that people are already kind of checked out. And so by the time I get in front of them, and this is virtual, they're like, they're already over it. Because <laughs> they're just like, well, <laughs> this whole conference has been like, you know, lackadaisical and everyone's on mute and people, someone was naked and flashed across and was on like that. Just, I've, Mike, I have seen it all. Stop it. Stop. Get that person off the screen. Who left them on the screen? Mute them. Eject them. What is going on? And I'm like, uh, okay. So I'll just wait for my cue. It's so bad. Can I tell you how I get along with my mom? You're just like sitting there trying to... <laughs> so good what do you yeah. do yeah so when you're speaking at like tony robbins as an example yeah. i mean everybody knows tony robbins not everybody knows glow at tanmo i said it right yep. yeah yep 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 what is what is your secret to get people to know you quickly mm, i think a lot of times when we are like i'm speaking on his stage again um this weekend or sorry next week um in scottsdale and i think a lot of times whenever you're on a lineup with like heavy hitters, because not just Tony, there's there's Jenna Kutcher, there's Dean Graziosi, 
like just heavy hitters across the board. Yeah. I think Matthew McConaughey is our guest, um, celebrity <laughs> guest this year. Yeah, but it's just like, you know, notable people. I don't try to become Matthew McConaughey. I don't try to channel Tony Robbins. I'm like, I'm glow and I'm going to just channel whatever my magic and superpower is. And once you get those reps in, like for me, my reps was like weekly coaching on Zoom for three years. Like a lot of people only want to coach when they're being paid to do it. And I was like, I was doing YouTube. I was going on Instagram live. I, you know, created a group coaching community in the middle of the pandemic just to serve people because I could see that there was a need. So I was always willing to just put myself out there. And with repetition comes confidence. So I don't think about the lineup. I'm just like, what an opportunity. How mm -hmm. exciting. And so I come out there within five seconds. People are like, whoa. Like the, I always like look back at the comments and it's just like her energy. She glows, glow, glows. Oh my God. Like, <laughs> and it's beautiful because it's like, it's like, that's my intention. <laughs> yeah. I also think there is power in not being the headliner. Yeah. In the sense of, like, I always remember at WDS, I forget what year this was, but there was this guy speaking that wound up becoming a famous speaker. At the time, nobody knew who he was. Uh, Twitter was the big game then. And he had like under a thousand followers. So everybody's like, who is this guy? Which, and, and I, what we should have done is said, well, there's got to be a reason why he's speaking. But instead, me and my friend Steve rehearsed for his panel and came back and everybody's like, oh, I don't know if I'm saying his name right. Ji Jiang. He, he was the best speaker. Everybody was like, mm -hmm. I can't believe how good that was. And he spoke all about rejection. And then I watched his yeah. TED talk like, years later. I was like, oh my gosh, that was incredible. Mm -hmm. like, and, and I just thought about how going from an unknown, not that you're an unknown, but not being the headliner. Sometimes there's a lot of power in that because the expectations are, they're not low. There's not there. People are there for Matthew McConaughey. That's it. That's it. I, I, I say kind of the same thing within the, the content creation realm. I tell people like now is the time to like get your, your shitty work out there. <laughs> <Yeah>. my language. <laughs> get your rough draft out there, like pivot, like experiment. Like now is the time when no one's watching. So like you get to be your most free creative self yeah. when no one is there. So I would say for me, um, yeah, I, I guess there is, it, it's not so much pressure that I'm starting to feel, but it's just like, there's never going to be a day where I disappoint someone. Like you're mm. never going to be disappointed by giving me a chance. So I, I take that very seriously when someone shares their stage with me. So yeah, I guess this, but there, there's good pressure, you know. That's great. So something that's interesting to me about you, you told me that you write a new speech every time. There's <laughs> yeah. nobody who does this. Nobody <laughs> does this. Uh, I retract that. My friend Michelle Harris, who we had on the podcast, but she is not speaking twice a month. So twice a month, you are performing a new speech. Can you, let's start by why do you do that? Yeah, you know. As we spoke, you know, offline about the story of, of how someone was super excited to hear, you know, a really famous speaker talk. And then the speaker started going. And then within five minutes, the guy get, got up and walked out and said, oh, my gosh, I've heard this before. Are you serious? And the disappointment in his voice, I was like, oh, my goodness, I never want to disappoint someone who believes in me, you know, that much. And, you know, obviously, it's, it's not realistic, this approach, but I still look at it as like a fun challenge to figure out ways that I can reinvent a message. And here's the thing, I do have a core group of people who follow me everywhere I talk, everywhere I, like Twitter, TikTok, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, <laughs> they are following me. So it's like, they will follow me to every speaking engagement too. And so I always wanna give them a little bit of something fresh or new, even if it's the same message, I wanna have a different way to say it. And Brendan Burchard would often say, like the best speakers in the world are the ones that know how to say the same thing a million different ways. <laughs> it's just, it, you're like, it's not realistic. I just do it anyway. Wait, <laughs> but it's not a hundred percent new, right? Like you're not, you're not going back to the drawing, drawing board every time. Uh, you know, when I think of like, okay. So, know. cause hold on, like as an example, at craft and commerce, you told the story of your teacher when you were like 11, who told you to look up entrepreneur. That cannot be the only time you told, tell that story. No, absolutely not. So stories can stick, but the message and the framing and the, the, uh, the lessons, like those are interchangeable. But I think as, as we mentioned, like the story, you should have those like top 10 stories that you recycle in and out. 
but there's always going to be a different way that I'm like telling the story. I might add in a new detail. I might take away a detail, but you'll never hear me give the same speech a hundred percent. Like there's like every single speech, if I'm using like the, the same presentation and I have like 60 slides, I'm like, okay, which 10 do I want to keep? And then the, the other 50, they're new. So I, I just, it, it's, it's a fun challenge for me as well. It's almost like styling your clothes. Like you can yeah. have your favorite pair of jeans, but maybe this time you're going to wear with a crop top, a different sweater, a blazer top. Like that's what makes it stylish is the fact that you can reinvent how the jeans are paired with other clothes. So you're going to speak at Robbins in two weeks. Yeah. You will do that. Let's say it's a Saturday. I don't know if it's a Saturday. It's probably Saturday or Sunday. Next day, get ready for the next speech. How quick do you do that? Do you give yourself time to recover? Mm, this is probably, <laughs> this is probably, I don't know if I should be sharing this, but I don't watch my old talks, at least not right away. Like huh? if I That's want normal. to like, like to de debunk it or take notes. Um, yeah, I, so my next speech, I guess, would be in person. So after that one, I'm on a flight the next day, a 26 hour flight to Bali the next day. So Obviously. I'm probably, <laughs> I'm probably going to be decompressing and emptying out my mind. Um, yeah, it, it's really hard for me to not, because for me, it's like, it's like a playground. I look at it, I'm like, oh my gosh, I get to I get to go have fun with, and just play with some adults. Like it's like an adult playground being in, in those studios because you have all of those screens and when you get to dancing and inspiring and you get the immediate feedback and they're smiling and they're laughing with you, you see the chat like at rapid speed of just hearts and smiley faces, laugh emojis. It's so much fun, Mike. So a day afterwards, like I'm probably not preparing for the next speech. I'm probably just celebrating like, man, that was cool. And I'm going to sit in that for a couple of days. Yeah, that's great. So when you do when you do get ready for the next one, what does your process look like? Like, do you start with slides, mm -hmm. random thoughts? Like, how how does Glow's brain work in terms of preparation? Brain dump. I'll always go back to the like event coordinator or manager, or whatever, and I'm like, hey, what what is the one thing that they need to make sure they come away from my talk with? Um, usually, they let me come up with the title of my presentation, so that's you know nice autonomy. But I'm like, okay, if, if we're going to be talking about pivoting, what's the one thing that they need to walk away with? What is the person before me and the person after me? Like, what are what are their talks called? Like, I try to make it a part of a larger sequence. Um, like, Tony's next week is going to be, like, there's a whole storyline in the five-day challenge. So making sure, like, I watched, I reached out to, the, to Dean and I was like, hey, can you send me last year's talk? And can you send me, like, who's going before me? Who's going after me? Like, let, how can I set it up to be fluid? So yeah, I, I, I do try to be, I try to be mindful and intentional where I can, but I'll brain dump first. Like what, what are the initial thoughts that I just have in my mind? Just brain dump on like a notepad on my MacBook. And then I'll probably start creating the bulk of the, cause I don't do scripts, but I'll start doing the PowerPoint presentation or Canva deck. Um, yeah. And then I'll start figuring out like, what's the flow of the talk? Where do I want to put in the takeaways? Um, Dean Graziosi taught me story, teach tool, tell a story in the beginning, mm -hmm. teach a framework and then share a tool. So I'm like, okay, how do I want to put my story, teach tool in there? Um, so yeah, it's, it's almost like a puzzle. You're just kind of playing around. And then the very last thing I do, it's like one day before, two days before I'm like standing up in my hotel room, pacing the apartment or pacing the room. <laughs> And probably spending three hours just doing the talk over and over and over and like back to back to back. 30 minutes, 30 minutes, 30 minutes, 30 minutes until my voice is literally going out. And I'm like, okay, nap time. You're good. <laughs> so when you let's talk about rehearsal, that's an interesting topic, too. Do you because it was interesting. I had my friend Josh Ship on a podcast and he said his first draft of rehearsal is reading it completely monotone, just trying to get the words out there. And then he builds an energy and understanding, which teach their own. That's not what I do. I'm curious. Like, are you, are you, are you doing gestures? Like first draft, are you doing gestures? Are you walking around intentionally? Or are you just trying to be boring and get the words out? My first draft is so animated that it's probably like an hour and a half. And like, it's a 30 minute slot. Yeah, because I'm like over, I'm over exerting energy and I'm like exaggerating parts so that I can be like, ah, let's change, let's, 
like I, the, the first draft is probably the most fun because you're playing around with stuff and I might not, I'm not timing myself. So, well, I know that it takes three times longer, but I'll know that like, if I'm trying to land a point and it doesn't come out right the first time, I'm going to keep trying to land it. And I'm like, ah, that's the one. And I'll take a note. Yeah. I'm like, you know, uh, look in eye of audience member in first row and then, you know, burp. I, what, whatever that thing I landed <laughs> on is, I like, I'm like, okay, glow, that is happening at that, like, put that down. It's all like go back to the draft of like. So in the middle of rehearsing, you stop and you and you. Yes. Got it. Yes. And I don't really have a script. I just have my PowerPoint. Um, I'll have my brain dump like notepad, but there's no like probably the opening and the closing is the only thing that I want to nail word for word. But the middle is just like flow state. Like you just tap into flow. So. Something was interesting. So at Craft and Commerce, correct me if I'm wrong. I think you told me that there was more to the talk that you never got to. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, <laughs> 30 minutes beforehand, I, like, added two slides, took away a slide. Like, there was the cyst part, the ovarian cyst. I was like, I don't want to go there. The Black Lives Matter. I was like, eh, I don't know if this audience is ready. And I went to Ryan, and he was like, no, keep them. Like, he, it, it's, it's sometimes really nice to have someone who just, like, yeah. has deeper context of what you're trying to do. And he was like, no, they need it. Get, keep it, keep it. I was like, okay, <laughs> you don't have to convince me. I just need a second opinion. <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> but there was all this stuff that we didn't get to hear just because time is running out. What's So I have two questions. First is, I think I know the answer to this, but within your <laughs> own brain, as you are, simultaneously being on stage, looking at the audience, looking at your slides and realizing, <laughs> oh, I'm not going to finish. <laughs> What's going on in your brain where you're able to edit? Does that question make sense? I probably, I allow myself to look at the timestamp twice throughout the whole presentation. The very first time I look at it, it's always like when I feel like I'm at my halfway mark, I need to know mm-hmm. that like, okay, 10 minutes left, five minutes left. But the very first time I look at it dictates the energy and, and pace of the remainder of the talk. And I think at Craft and Commerce, I was like maybe two minutes, two to five minutes less time than I wanted. <laughs> so I was like, okay, um, there, there's no frantic energy. It's just like, it's expected. Like you're never going to give the same talk at the same cadence and pace. And sometimes you play off the energy of the crowd. And so I might, <laughs> there was... <laughs> There was a typo. There were two typos. The one you called me out on, the oh, question yeah. one. And then there was... And that, that was less severe than the other one. <laughs> that's exactly it. And that's the thing. When you're creating new slides, you do have to be mindful of like, oh, there could be typos in every single one. Um, and I don't have a proofreader. It's just me going over it myself. Um, so the bigger one, like you can't, you can't like factor in 30 seconds to laugh at yourself for, <laughs> for it autocorrect to booger and then you not noticing <laughs> 20 streams as a booger 20 income streams as a booger so like that like so that takes the audience out of it took me out of it so i'm like all right let's get back here settle down all right all right take me serious again so that's a whole minute lost but it is what it is <laughs> Wait, but did we get the ending that was meant to be the ending or did you have to figure something else out I could have spent more time on the ending. I, yeah. I think it was it was more rushed than I wanted to. And that was okay because you also don't want to overemphasize a point to the point where <laughs> a point to the point where the audience is now like, oh, okay, we feel guilty. We feel bad. What's next? You know, yeah. it, it, was, yeah. it was the Black Lives Matter portion. So I was like, let me, let me drive it home. Let me just land it and then keep, keep a train going. What do you feel like you've given a million speeches now? What do you feel like was your best one? I always say my last one, my most recent one. So good answer. I'm growing every single day. It's not just when I'm talking on stage. Like every morning, Quote of the Day show is one of my favorite podcasts by Sean Croxton. And I'm listening literally to a speech from one of the most prominent voices in the world every single morning, at least five. And so my mind is constantly being fed with like, ooh, I like how they... I like the intonation there. Oh, I like how the storytelling there. So I'm taking notes on just improving my craft without intentionally taking notes. 
So every time I give a talk, even if it's not like the grandest talk I've ever done, I love who I am in the time that I'm giving that talk because I know that I'm at my highest potential in that moment. <laughs> who are, who do you feel like influenced your speaking career? Les Brown. I knew what you're going to ask. And I was like, Les Brown. <laughs> Les Brown. I love that man. I adore him. I think he is one of the few that knows how to bring just his, his speaking style is, is convicting and inviting at the same time. He will bully you into believing in yourself and then make you feel like you just want to give him a hug after like he's like a, a big teddy bear. So he, he's so warm and, and funny, but he's also so powerful in driving his points home. And I think it's hard to find voices like his because you have the people that are like yelling at you the whole time, which that's effective sometimes, or the people that mon monotone the whole time. And so I just think he does a great job of performing. What does what performing look like though? Like, are you talking about walking around the stage or what? You could walk around the stage, but there's a performance in your voice. Like yeah. even like, let me go into performance mode really quickly on this. Oh, <laughs> while please. We're talking. But like, Mike, my, my goodness. And so I was like, wow, you cannot believe it. And it's just incredible. But, but can you believe like there is energy. You can feel the story and the depth and the emotion just sitting at home, listening to the audio. And it's like, Les Brown does that really well. Tony Robbins, of course, does that really well. But that's not something that, I don't think you're born with it. You have to like really like work on your craft. And that's why I respect people like Liz. Yeah. And you have to realize that that's helping the audience. I think a lot of people get hung up on the part where it feels like acting. And I say, yeah. okay, well, you can just present it monotone. Do you think, <laughs> do you think that's what the audience wants? Yeah. Y'all, you know, I'm speaking twice a month. That's a lot. This is what would be natural is I'm just going to speak at this volume you understand, right? Like, cause you have to do it for the audience. That's, that's the whole thing. So I don't yeah. know, maybe it does feel like acting sometimes, but yeah, you're, what you're really doing is you're, you're emphasizing points in such a way that you think will be most effective for your audience. Right. Absolutely. And you know, we'd be really cocky to believe that people are hanging on to every word and breath yeah. <laughs> from like start to finish. And so in those moments where you feel like there might be a lull, it's like, you, you do the dramatic pause or you, you clap, you, you, you do something to change the pace and get them to, to really like, okay, this, I want to make sure everyone's paying attention here. So I'm going to add some dramatics to make sure I have your, I'm going to re get your attention. So it's an art. <laughs> it's an art. Okay. I want to ask you about two more things. I want to ask you about presenting virtually. And then I want to ask you about your mother. Cause she seems like she's prominent in every, in every speech. Yeah. <laughs> let's let's talk about virtual because you're such a you're such a I guess I'm not surprised you're introverted because I've learned that people with energy often are introverted, but you are someone who at least appears to love people and feed off of people. So virtual obviously makes that more challenging. What are some of your strategies to make it feel less weird? Um See, maybe the question is interesting because I never, virtual doesn't feel, feel weird to me. And I guess it's because that's really how I got my confidence in speaking. And so I, I would do these weekly coaching calls and I would start, I would start with music. And so I'm dancing everybody on and we're just like, you know, five minutes to let everyone from the waiting room come to the main room. And yeah, I would just, I think I would always disclaim with like, whatever you think about me online, whatever faux platform you put me on, like bring me down to your level. Cause here we are. And I would just like humanize myself at the beginning of every talk virtually, because sometimes people look at me like, oh, easy for you to say you've made it or right. you don't understand the struggle anymore. So I really try to meet people where they're at or at least lower my perception of who they think I am. Because at the end of the day, I do want to seem like I'm talking to you like a friend. You could be halfway across the world. You don't have to give me a single dime, but I'm going to, if I have a, a minute left, I'm going to give you as much as I got. And when I think about my legacy, because I'm not going to have kids, I, I don't want kids. I don't have kids. My legacy is going to live on through the people that I serve on a virtual conference, on a physical conference, in my coaching programs. So I take it seriously because I know that like it could be just one word, one phrase, one talk that could change someone's life. That's such a good attitude. <laughs> okay. So actually, I have another question before I ask about 
how your mother is a character in every speech. <laughs> I am curious about how you do slides with speaking, since you have a graphic design background, which you know a lot of people don't know very much about design. I think Canva is very helpful, of course. Yes. Do you think in, when, when do the slides enter into the equation for you? That's my question. Mm, very end, because you don't want to get caught up. If you don't even know what the message is or have an idea of what you want to say, like your slides are going to take twice as long because you'll keep changing and re-editing them. So it's like once I'm like sure of like, okay, here's the message, here's the framework, here are the lessons. Like now I'm ready to piece it together on a graphic, in a graphic way. Um, I, that's probably my favorite process because now I'm yeah. just tapping, I'm, I'm in flow. Like it's, it's not work, it's fun. Okay, what photos should I use? How do I make it bright and colorful? Where can I have like a little joke? here or there like the parenthetical citation like i was like that was like yeah. a little joke there That's right. and then there's there's a typo <laughs> jokes <laughs> on me right <laughs> you're one of the few people and that is my favorite way and there're not very many people that use slides that way uh, you do that tim urban who was also at the conference he does that where the slides are part of the joke and the slides are part of the act and i loved it so much i was curious if that but that's at the very end so there's not if you took a week to prepare, there's there's no thought on Monday what this, what is this going to look like as a slide, right? No, absolutely not. That that would be a waste of time for me, a waste of like mental power because I just yeah, my brain doesn't even or my brain maybe is good at compartmentalizing like the most important thing to focus on right now is the messaging. Cuz at the end of the day, the slides are marketing. It's like I'm yeah. helping you. I'm marketing my message and my brand and who I am, my credibility. So it's like the message is first and then the marketing adds to it. That's so good. So good. I get excited by the slides part too, which is funny. I'm not a designer, but I just think they're like <laughs> funny, clever, yeah. creative things you can do when you when you already know your message and your story. Now we get to have real fun with the slides. Yes. But, Yes, but when you're using your slides as your note cards, like that is no fun, and that's the way most people do it. Yeah, because they haven't been taught otherwise. Yeah. Like that's how we did it in high school, and then no one gets training after that, and you just get your first speaking gig, and then you just do what you did in high school. Wait, so how did you learn to do that though? Was that just one of those glow playground mm -hmm. experiments, or did you see that somewhere? Probably saw it. Yeah, practice, and then like I attend a lot of conferences myself, and maybe well in general I, I definitely spend six figures a year on personal development conferences hmm. books mentors coaching so in those conferences like yeah you you can kind of see which ones am i enjoying the most and it's always the people that are doing something have a visually aesthetic presence to their um voice because it's like i i've seen <laughs> a really strong speaker have really bad slides like they made the slides probably yeah an hour, well, I can't say an hour before because I'm like, that is, <laughs> there's different levels to an hour before. But it's like, it's a white screen with like Times New Roman font, bullet points. Oh, <laughs> and I'm like, oh no, this is like, oh, so yeah. <laughs> it is, and it lowers the perceived value of the whole presentation. This, and I wish more people realize that because they would probably spend more time or at least invest in a designer that could help them. Yeah. <laughs> the inclusion of your mom in your speech slash speeches is interesting to me. Yeah. She was in the one that I got to see in person. She was a running theme. <laughs> There's something brilliant about it because you get to impersonate her and it's funny. Yeah. I, I am curious when you started including like, well, first of all, is your mom in like every talk? <sighs> not every talk. I, I feel like it, it's hard to bring her into virtual talks. I, I feel like, again, on stage, on a physical stage, it, I look at it as like stand-up comedy. Like there is yeah. an element of playing on the audience. And when you have an accent, anytime there's like mimicking or an accent or a chance to impersonate someone, that levels the playing field of ev like everyone's on your side. Yeah. Because I think some people you do have to win over and it takes some buttering up. But when you come out of character and you become someone else, now they're like, okay, this, let me give her a little bit of my attention. <laughs> so It is very intentional. Did, but did you have to give, I guess my question, so that's interesting. It was intentional. And then 
the first time you did it, did you feel weird about it or was it just eh, whatever? I grew up doing impressions with my brothers and sisters. Like we, I have 32 years of impersonation. Well, probably not as a toddler, but I, I would just, I would, again, sometimes you just treat the audience like your friends and I would impersonate my mom to my friends all the time. And it, it was like, I didn't have to practice or study. It was like, I have Nigerian comedy sketches on YouTube. Like I actually was like building a brand of just, impersonating her because it, it wasn't just me it was like also tapping into anyone else who has immigrant parents anyone else whose parents are a little bit difficult anyone else who's like have friends you know so it's we're all able to find like a a uniformity within that like character and when you bring a, a character outside of yourself onto the stage it also makes it feel like okay we're a circle of like people all witnessing or experiencing this moment that's an amazing point yeah it does it's a circle of trust yeah. <laughs> That's something a friend would do from stage. That's great. I love it. Glow, every guest on this podcast, it's kind of like Wheel of Fortune, like Celebrity Wheel of Fortune, where they play for a charity, except it's less money and it's me donating, not ABC or Merv Griffin Enterprises. Uh, who would you? I, I, so I make a $50 donation to charity of your choice. Glow, who should I be donating money to? Yes. Oh, such a generous offer. Uh, Move in Mafia. It's a bunch of HBCU college students getting ready to move in that don't have the access to resources for getting their dorms and stuff put together. I just donated to them last week, so I'll get you the link, but the Move-In Mafia, they're great. Move-In Mafia, done. That's a great one. All right, cool. Yay. All right, Glow. <laughs> we always end with two questions. Cool. Number one is a speaking tip, and again, I mean, you can say whatever you want, but this is intended to be something beyond what I would have learned in public speaking one-on-one. So, hello. Yeah. What do you think? What's your speaking tip? Well, I have two. And the first one we kind of touched on, but it's like, invest a lot more time and energy into the graphic element of your PowerPoint and presentation, because that could save, like, we'll give more grace to the person that's not a great speaker, but has great visuals. So, yeah. like, spend more time or invest in someone. Um, and then the second, like find a community to coach if you can get paid even better. But the bulk of my confidence in speaking on stage came from weekly Zoom calls to strangers around the world and like learning how to serve them, learning how to pour into them, getting like immediate feedback. I would say a joke or say something that I'm like, oh, will this land? And literally seeing their faces on the other side laughing. I'm like, okay, that works. That's cool. That doesn't Oh, tweak that. But it was like, I was practicing every week for three years with coaching programs. And again, telling people to do it for no money, like obviously, you know, not everyone has that time, but like Instagram live, you know, just start if you don't have the audience yet, like the audience will come. And then if you can find a way to make money off of it, which I did, like even better. That is such good advice. <laughs> Everybody is like, should I do Toastmasters? Should I do Toastmasters? Sure, maybe. Coaching is something where you are you are immediately, or at least probably you are talking about something that you understand you can test things out. There's not this awkward Toastmasters thing where someone once upon a time told you your hands should move a certain way. And then years later, Mike, you hire Mike to help. And then I can say, you've taken Toastmasters, haven't you? Because it looks so awkward. Oh, see, I never, I didn't learn what Toastmasters was until like earlier this year. I didn't even know what that was. <laughs> I'm just saying some of them are good. Some are not. And I feel like I can spot a Toastmaster speaker from a mile away because I, I can see their brain saying, I should walk across this stage now. It just feels oh, robotic. Mm. Yeah. But I guess, I guess if someone looks really good, I just, it doesn't occur to me that maybe they did Toastmasters too. So maybe that's unfair, but I am saying sometimes it's Toastmasters makes you robotic. <laughs> that's not what we're shooting for glow. Yeah. Well, you have to suck as well. So like most people do something and they suck. They're like, oh, I'm not good at this. But it's like you have to suck over and over. And then finally, there's the, there's hope. <laughs> and then you drive the hope home. <laughs> oh, that is a great quote. You have to suck over and over. And finally, there's hope one day. <laughs> no timeline. Just hope eventually Just shimmering. Someday. Someday. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> uh, 
All right, Glow. It's story time. I and actually, before you do a story, <laughs> you've been to how many countries? Ninety. Ninety-one now. I, I say ninety because, eh, yeah, I, no, I do ninety-one. Okay, ninety-one. <laughs> oh, was there one like you? You like one foot stepped outside for a minute? <sighs> Lao. I was only there for six hours. Like I only count it after twenty-four hours. Like I had to stay there. For oh, okay. So Lao, I was only there for six hours. So I have to go back. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, it's like my Mexico inclusion. Like I was technically in Mexico, but the driver <laughs> took me everywhere. I went back to the airport. Like it could have been Kansas City. I would have never known. <laughs> I get it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, Glow. We always end with this story. This could be right. one you've told from stage or one you haven't. <laughs> but we'd love to hear a, mm. a final story from you. A final story. Well, let's go with, uh, <laughs> I was at an event and, uh, things are going amazing. And I was just like, wow, this is, I just love being around people. This is cool. I'm getting ready to go home cause I'm just tired. And then someone tells me, no, 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 come follow me. And I'm like, in any other world, I would say no, but when you feel safe, you know, and you're, you're comfortable, you, you always say yes. So I'm leading, I'm being led up some stairs and in this back alley, we get to now the rooftop and I see this obnoxious looking tunnel, this obnoxious slide. And I'm like, F that. No, I'm like, why would I, why would anyone do this? And immediately, as I said, F that, I was like, oh, I must. There's this Eric Thomas quote (laughs) that goes like, the minute you say you can't, it's like, oh, then I must. And I felt myself like I, I, I've been I've been in a season where I've been running away from fear. And so I felt myself about to this beautiful opportunity to like see something. And I'm like, oh, nope, running away. I was like, no, this is a time to like start conquering your fears. And so I get on, I get in the line and I get on the tunnel and I start to pull out my camera. And I'm like, this is either going to be the worst, the best or the worst thing I've I've ever recorded. <laughs> I turn the camera on me. At first I see everyone putting their cameras towards their feet and something tells me, I'm like, I think I'm going to put it on my face. I don't, I don't know why, but let's just see what happens. And I go down this slide and I feel myself. <laughs> first of all, the slide doesn't end. Like it, it just, I feel myself this out of body experience. And it's so bumpy. No one warns me. No one tells me. No other screams are as bumpy as mine. And I'm just, I get to the end of the slide, but I'm so horrified that I'm still screaming and I've stopped moving. <laughs> and I hear a voice that says, are you okay? And I'm still screaming in my mind. I don't know where I am. Are you all right? Are you all right? I see people <laughs> circling around the bottom laughing at me. And I'm just like, I feel traumatized. This was traumatic. This was highly traumatic. And everyone's laughing and I'm like offended. <laughs> and I, I just have a moment where I'm just like, what the heck? I come off. Nathan Berry comes right after me. Wee! It couldn't have been the most gentle ending. And I was like, really? And that's when I learned. Uh, Facing your fears can be fun. And now I'm a viral sound on TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> Over a quarter million views. And the comments are so obnoxious. Thousands of comments of like, someone get this girl help. <laughs> <laughs> the comments are hilarious. No, 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 no. Okay. <laughs> Well, Glow, I wondered the whole time I was like, is she talking about the Boise thing, which I did not get to go down because I had to leave it early. And your video of that was outstanding. It's so funny. You you definitely seemed like you're about 55 years old, like in a certain way. Do you know what I mean? Like, like <laughs> someone who only ever like her idea of a risk is like going to Applebee's or something. And now it's being thrust down this lengthy circular slide <laughs> I think did I see another angle that someone had video from the top that could hear you all the way down 
Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> oh my gosh. I just love the contrast of you and Nathan just daintily being like, well, that was, it was interesting. <laughs> but let, so, so <laughs> that one, and then you have an, you had another video with the like anaconda or some sort of snake <sighs> on you. Gross. That, yeah. Same ordeal. I was like, who the hell? Oh, I would. Oh, someone like me would. Yeah. And immediately when I hear that voice tell me to run, I'm like, okay, run towards it. Go do the thing that like is freaking you out. And that first feel of it, I was totally in my body. I was shaking and I was like, they were telling me the snake will, will bite me if I like shake that much. Like the snake what? will get scared. Ah, nope. Out, out, exactly. out. Exactly. Uh-uh. Imagine. And so I had a split second to decide either you cut the shaking out or, you know, a, this is another opportunity where you don't get to conquer a fear. And the person I'm becoming, the, the places that I'm going, I have to face new fears. If everything that I do is comfortable, that's not fun for me. I need challenges to stay on top of my game. So I stopped shaking. <laughs> Here's what I was thinking about after that. So I I will sometimes start a presentation. When, it, when, I'm, when I've been hired to talk about public speaking, like the art of that, Yeah, I will... I will sometimes start by saying, you know, public speaking is the number is often cited as the number one fear. And then what I say glow <laughs> is I say, now I have trouble believing this. I doubt if someone who's in a pit of vipers is sitting there like, well, at least I'm not giving the Q3 update right now. <laughs> and then I was thinking, I wonder if I could use Glow's video for this part, but it's probably too, I, I think it's too good of a video for a quick joke. <laughs> You're free to use it if it ever applies. <laughs> uh, Glow, where can people find out more about you, about your speaking, about anything else that you want them to know about? Yeah. So if you go to dictionary.com and search for greatness, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> I've never told that joke before. That just, as soon as you were saying, where can people find you? I was like, think of something clever. <laughs> But that's what speaking is, right? Like sometimes those on-the-spot jokes. Because um, I was going to say... I think like, yeah. there was a time where Seth Godin said, Google Seth. Oh, yeah, that sounds cocky. I love Seth, by the way. <laughs> I, I literally, when I tell you, this is my Bible. This is marketing. The best book I've ever read on marketing <laughs> by Seth Godin. Adore him. Purple Cow. I've read all of his books. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I've heard the Google line so often and I'm always like, how does that actually land with people? So I, I always, you know, I think people have to know my tone when I'm saying, I, I think it, it, it lands if they like you. That's what it is. Oh, touche. Cause not everyone no. has to. Yeah. That's no. Instagram at glow graphics, G L O graphics or my podcast, The Glow Show Podcast. Glow, you're the best, my friend. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, Mike, any time. This is amazing. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, Oh, Glow is the best. Hey, folks, subscribe to the podcast. Give it a review. Subscribe at our website, bestspeech.co. I have been your host, Mike Pacione. This podcast has been edited and produced by Alicia Otieno music you're hearing from Jonah Ramey. Y'all have been great. Glow's been great. Thanks again to Glow for stopping by. We will talk to you all soon. Do good things out there.